Coming up on this week's episode of Destination Linux, the roundtable meets to discuss the subject of what is the best Unix shell and is it time to switch to ZSH? We have a new Kali Linux out with some surprising changes. A new game just dropped for Linux and it has a very dark premise, but it's also happy. It's weird. We'll get into it in the game pick. And of course, we have our popular tips, tricks, and software picks. Also, don't forget to mark your calendars because we have the DLN Gaming Night coming for you to all join us and play some awesome games on August 30th, right after Destination Linux Live at 4 p.m. Eastern. So if you're not a gamer, go and download the games. We'll cover them again in the gaming sections of which games we're going to play and get ready because it's going to be a ton of fun and you'll be able to at least destroy Noah because he doesn't game at all and have fun doing that. All of this and so much more coming up right now on Destination Linux. Intro road. Look at us. We're Destination Linux podcast. Welcome to episode number 188. You're tuned in to the number one, the greatest, the best video-centric Linux podcast on the planet, Destination Linux. We're your source for great discussions on Linux and open source. My name is Ryan, and with me today are the secret menu items of your favorite fast food restaurants, Noah and Michael. Let's find out what everyone's been up to this week. Noah, we missed you. Like, I missed you so much. What were you doing that was so important you couldn't come hang out with us? I was installing a $24,000 Linux server. That's what I was doing. At my house? Please. No, it wasn't at your <laughs> house. It was for a client, but it was super fun. We uh, we loaded it with the latest release of CentOS 8 and got caught. Now, so Cockpit actually comes pre-installed now with CentOS 8. And so managing, it was the first time we've ever done an actual like in-production, real server deployment uh, with Cockpit. And so that was interesting. Like it was great to always know that we had the command line backup as a, uh, in case we needed it, but we didn't need it the whole time. It worked flawlessly. And then the vert manager plugin to manage all the virtual machines was absolutely fantastic. And then we tied all of that in with PFSense and did uh, site to site VPN tunnels and road warrior VPNs to get all of their employees back in. Then we hosted all of their individual workstations as individual libvirt uh, virtualization machines on that host. And so they, they all VPN in and then their office is essentially inside of one gigantic server. It's very cool. So uh, actually, the team that installed it with uh, with me is going to be on Ask Noah this week on Tuesday, and we're going to go step-by-step step, kind of what we did, how we did it, how we made the decisions, where we ran into some limitations with open source software, how, what we're doing to fix that, how how the community can help if they want to participate. So yeah, it was uh, it was a very enlightening and, and, and fun week. So is everything set up the way you wanted it? Is it, is it up and running and going, or you have more work to do? Yeah, I mean, so as with any managed client, it's a, it, we don't deal in complete security as always a moving target as our needs and we want to evolve with that business. But right now we are meeting their demand. We, we, we have accomplished the things that we set out to accomplish during the initial install. Awesome. Very good. So Michael, do you have anything exciting like a $24,000 server that you set up? Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. I've done at least, I mean, twenty four thousand. I mean, I have like forty eight thousand dollars server. Wow, forty eight thousand dollars. How do you yeah. like them apples? No, yeah, he set that. up a forty eight thousand dollars server. Yeah, um, I mean, so it was it was in Minecraft. Here but, are the uh, things. Here are the things that make that unbelievable. Uh, one, it was forty eight thousand dollars, and the other thing was that Michael set it up. So wow, right? Wow. Both of those things lead me to believe that Michael didn't set up a forty-eight thousand dollars server, but that's just my guess. I mean, that's just right. that's just so fair and completely accurate. But at the same time, 
if you said that you built a world class website, that yeah, uh, then we would believe it. Then we would believe that. Yeah, I actually am working on a, a big revamp of the website for Destination Linux Network, and my goal Ooh. is to have it in the next week before the gaming the Game Fest. So that's what my goal is to have that and launch that at the same time. But uh, basically, I'm just revamping a various different things, and one of the things that I'm really excited about is in a, in an, in addition to the revamping of the website, I'm creating a RSS feed of all of the shows all in one feed so anybody who wants to just get updated have to subscribe to one sh- to one feed and get everything all at once there's enough content there to keep you busy the whole week i mean that would be fire so ryan what have you been up to this week well i moved as you could tell the room is blank there's no action figures on the wall there's no doctor who wallpaper anymore there's nothing but i still took the time to set up my server to get everything up and running, to do this show with all of you, because that's how dedicated I am to Linux. But I think the interesting thing is the fact that I've been doing this show and my YouTube videos for the last few weeks on the Nook, the Simply Nook NUC8i7 HNK mini PC. That means rendering all my videos. That means recording all my videos, doing shows, gaming, all of that on this little Nook. And when you're moving things, moving the giant servers and other computers and massive cases that I have is quite annoying. But this little nook, I literally, when it was time to move, pulled it out, stuck it in a laptop bag and brought it to my new house. And it's quite amazing to see what this little quad core i7, 32 gigabytes of DDR4 RAM. Of course, I put some of the fastest Sabrent drives you can get in it as well. And... It's using Thunderbolt 3 to run a eGPU on the Razer Core X with an NVIDIA 2070 in it. So it's a little bit pimped out of a Nook, but it's quite amazing what you can do with this little beast here. So that's been a lot of fun and really making me look at the market of these mini PCs. And I'm starting to plan a build to kind of do my own just to see how much power I can pack in the smallest case possible, which is going to be a lot of fun for upcoming shows on the DOS Geek YouTube channel. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, I, I didn't know you could make it like go that far with just a NUC. But I know the NUCs were like fairly powerful in what they can do. But that one, that sounds like it's going to be an exciting series. This episode of Destination Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean offers the simplest, most developer-friendly cloud platform out there. It's optimized to make managing and scaling apps easy with their intuitive API, multiple storage options, integrated firewalls, load balancers, and so much more. Now, the thing that you don't really understand until you actually use it in production is because they're handling all of the outside parts of this and you just have to work on your actual servers, it means that the actual management of the servers is outsourced to somebody else. So when you need to move a server from one organization to to the other, you need to get multiple people in, involved in a particular management of a server. That's easy to do with DigitalOcean. It also makes it possible to move your DigitalOcean droplet around to their numerous data centers to get the best performance that you need right there. You can get started right now for free with a $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. You can use that $100 credit for spinning up over a dozen droplets or even one monster-sized droplet for two months. Again, you can get started by going to DigitalOcean with that $100 credit by going to do.co slash DLN. And a huge thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring Destination Linux. In the community feedback this week, Glenn writes us to say, I've been listening to your shows and really enjoy them. Your dynamic is spot on. So to the question about 2FA, asked mainly towards Noah, what happens when one of your employees loses the YubiKey? Do you always have Authy as a backup? Do you have a second key for every employee as a backup or spare? What happened 
and it, if there's a lockout, how is it solved? What happens if the situation you mentioned where a person passes away, should they have uh, given in another key to a trusted user or put that in the wheel or something like that? Thanks for the shows and the forthcoming answers regards Glenn. So Noah, what what is the solution for that? Yeah, that's a really great question. So it, essentially what you're talking about is identity management at that point. And so um, the way that what we do with our customers is if they're if they are a uh, a managed customer, which means that we, our entire team needs access to their servers because our entire team is going to manage it. Then the people that are from that portion of, of, of our team um, that will manage those servers, those keys are, are listed in a key file. And we deploy those to each one of the servers. And then there's, there's a system that updates those key files every 24 hours. And so if somebody is terminated or loses a key, we simply invalidate that key and that propagates to all the servers and says, okay, those keys are no longer in use. Now, if the employee has the the, the Yuba key and is just fired, this is where the real benefit is. But previously, every time that happened, we had to propagate a new key out. Now, in, in the place where we manage the server, that's not a problem. We just we add the key into our master database and it sends it out to all the servers. However, uh, it gets to be problematic when it comes to things where we're not, where they're not a managed service. They just call us as they need us kind of a thing. Um, in those sorts of contractor situations, a lot of times there's paperwork that has to be filled out when you want to add somebody or remove somebody uh, from a server. And of course, anytime a credential is lost, it has to be reported. Now that we have a little template that we send out to the client that basically says, hey, we had an employee and they had one two-factor key that's used to authenticate into your servers and that key was compromised. However, we just let you know the way that this works is that it's a, a pin is required before it can unlock the key and the key is destroyed after, after three attempts. Nevertheless, we're invalidating this key and we've replaced it with a new one. But just so you know, this is the thing that happened at no time. There's been any evidence that anybody got access to the server, blah, blah, blah. And we're not actually worried about it because again they get that pin wrong three times and the key is going to be toast um, so you never ever have just one employee uh, with a key on an individual server because you're right if you were to lose that key it, you know you'd be up a creek without a battle the other part of that though is you definitely don't want backups of ssh keys right we want to track those individually if a person has more than one key assigned to them like i do i have one of my work laptop one of my personal laptop one that sits in my house at my workstation i've got one that's in a security safety deposit box at the bank uh, all of those if they're added into a server are listed in some way or another so that we know if one of those keys goes missing or lost we can simply invalidate it duplicating a key is a dangerous idea because it 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 fundamentally steps right around the very thing that you're trying to control, which is that those keys are unique. And so if one is invalidated, then you know it can it, it, it can no longer be trusted. And as long as one is valid, you know that it can be trusted. So that's how we handle it. But it's a really great question. So to answer the question about the will, because I feel like there may have been some more of a personal dynamic to this question as well. You said you mentioned a safety deposit box at the bank. I assume something happens to you then your family would go to that safety deposit box, get that key, and they would have access to get into your personal bank or whatever is is their information. Yeah, no, because they don't, my family doesn't have, wouldn't know the pin, right? So my wife has her own key and she has, uh, she has her own pin for her own key. So she could recover. She could get into anything that way if she needed to. And yes, uh, I trust her with all the same things I have. So she has a, she has a, a process to follow to get into God mode for all of our clients and stuff like that. So that um, there is continuity should something happen to me, but no, the safety deposit box is there for, for my benefit. What if I am, traveling backpacking or something and my I, I i somehow suffer the misfortune of my house burning down my office burning down or maybe some natural disaster rolls through grand forks 
and simultaneously I lose all the stuff that's on my back or on my person for some like reason. Like a Sharknado. Yeah. yeah. What what happens in the worst case scenario? What's my absolute fallback? Well, it's a safety deposit box in a drastically different geographical location that I can go get if all else fails. Here's the thing. I'd rather have that key sitting in there for the 15 bucks a month that cost me and not need it than need it and not have it. Awesome. We love hearing from our worldwide community. We have many ways for your voice to be heard. You can send us a short email, a video. It may just get incorporated into the show. You can sh- send those links to comments at destinationlinux.org. Kali Linux is out with the new release 2020.3. And one of the major uh, updates to this release is the switch from BAS to ZSH. The 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 thing that is well, that we were talking about off air um, and that we're hoping to to bring Ryan and, and Michael in and, and kind of have this discussion here is essentially what is happening inside of the, the Linux sphere? Because what we've seen is this happening. Mac OS took this step. Um, now Kali Linux is taking this step and you have to wonder, there are some definite benefits to going in or to moving to a different shell, but is this the best shell for, of, of, for us all to take? And why is it that all of these uh, different operating systems are moving from what has been the standard uh, from the command line utility over to a different one. That's particularly interesting in Kali because with Kali Linux, you're primarily targeting an audience of people that are very comfortable on the command line. These are people yeah. that probably were using these tools long before there was ever a distribution around them to, to kind of make it easier. And so the fact that the, the shell in that distro is moving seems like that's uh, of note. What do you guys think? Yeah, we're going to talk about the Bash versus ZSH in the in the next uh, main topic on the, of this of this episode. But we wanted to talk about this because it's pretty interesting that Kali Linux is doing these sorts of things, especially with the WSL WinKex thing, because that is and it's 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 interesting for multiple levels in the fact that you can only do certain features in Kali Linux in a full distribution of Linux. So you you have to have all of root and everything to be able to do it. So you're limiting what you can even do by using the WSL version of it. So it kind of confuses me like what's the value of having that? Is that the same with that? WSL2 though? Cuz isn't WSL2 the full kernel? Well, it's a full kernel, but it's also in, wrapped inside of the Hyper-V sort of stuff. So it's not really a full thing. It's not a, like like it's still wrapped inside of the WSL inside of the Windows environment. So it can only get so much access to the core structure. So it's just kind of interesting, like why they Maybe decided the to do that. Maybe the idea is you use WinKex to hack Windows. Well, that's the whole and, point of Kali Linux, really, is to right. Have but I mean, maybe they're incorporating it. You can kind of see your hack. You've got a, but I don't know why you would need the graphical version of it, other than people relying on GUIs and things to accomplish that. But I guess you could see your results of what you're hacking right there. Yeah, I'm not a hacker. We kind of need Bo to, yeah. to answer for, that for us. If if well, Bo would but, like to send a comments or anybody who's a hacker would like to let us know about the reason why the, this there's a value here, please let us know in the comments. I do want to say there's some interesting things about the NetHunter thing that uh, Kali does. For those who are not aware of NetHunter, it's essentially Kali Linux, but for phones. And it allows you to do like all kinds so of stuff cool. through over Bluetooth. And they actually input, they set up a new Bluetooth tool structure and they call it the Bluetooth arsenal and some other stuff. So, but yeah, I think that the, we should get to the, the shell discussion. Whoa, 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 no, 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 Michael, we can't transition yet because there's one big announcement here. We cannot pass up. And that is they've added Nokia support. And there are oh. four people on the planet. I know that are super excited. Yes, about that. exactly. I'm yes, not one Nokia of those supports there. <laughs> 
yeah. So Nokia support everyone. You're welcome. You heard it here first. Yep. We we could not move on from that. I think thank you for stopping yes. me before we we, we lost welcome. the potential of those four people. <laughs> Our security advisory this week is brought to you by Bitwarden. And this may sound simple, but I know some technical people that get caught up in this to this day. And that is stop clicking links in your email. While for some, many of us, I hope that's an obvious statement, an obvious security tip. But I'm telling you, there are some really highly technical people I know that are like, oh, I got a virus again. My computer's all messed up. What happened? I clicked on one of those emails or it's a phishing attack and they lose access to their bank, to photos, to cloud management and things because they're clicking these links. They make these websites look just like the real deal and people were getting fooled by this in fact they're getting fooled by it so much that there are 3 billion fake emails sent out every single day and so they're just ma- casting a mass net across and they're catching a lot of people with this type of thing so when you get an email from your bank you get an email from an account and i've seen a lot of clever ones now that are kind of like hey your account's been compromised on whatever bank you use, or maybe it's just a gaming service. If you've authorized this, click here. If you didn't authorize this, click here and we'll take care of it for you. And you click, of course, it's a fake site. So they get more and more clever. They And people utilize their real names in their emails. Sometimes you ever seen people do this, they'll put the real first name and last name, which makes the hack even seem more legitimate because it's like, hey, Ryan, your bank, blah, blah, blah. You've been hacked and compromised. And because people are using their actual full names in their email addresses. And of course, then you can go back to the fact that if somebody was particularly targeting you, if you use a lot of social media sites, it'd be pretty easy for them to learn enough about you to fool you out there. So don't click on links in your email. Instead, if there's something you're worried about actually happening, because it could be a legitimate warning, just open up a browser and I know it takes an extra three seconds, but manually type. Man, three seconds is just too much. Like it's just too much. Too much. Can't. Okay. You're asking a lot, Ryan. But it was actually kind of funny because like just this week I got an email telling me uh, it was like an email to destination Linux saying that our des- the destination Linux mail server is, fil- is full and you need to click this link to, to add more storage. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, thank you. <laughs> so that's perfect. Well, it's legitimate. It was full. I was trying to get your credentials, though, Michael, but it didn't work. But anyways, good job on that. Well, you want another way to stay secure? Get a good password manager. The password manager that we all use and trust is Bitwarden. It's the easiest and safest for individuals, teams, businesses, anybody out there that needs password management. This is your tool or to store sensitive information. We want you to head to bitwarden.com slash DLN and you can get started for free. But the best part is if you want to help fund an open source project that's just absolutely amazing part of the community, then you can get started for $10. That's for their premium account, $10. And by the way, that's for the whole year, not a month, not a week, the whole year, just $10. You get a gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with the YubiKey that we were talking about earlier, Vault Health Reports, TOTP authentication, storage and generation, priority customer support. They also have easy, quick dropdowns for setting more complex passwords, setting up passphrases, however you like to do your password management. They have a feature there for it. It also works across all of your devices. If I have my cell phone on me, I have my passwords there with me. If I'm on my home computer, I have my passwords there with me. I need a plugin for my browser. They have that too. 
And if you want, you can even spin up your own server with Bitwarden. They're just an amazing company. Head to bitwarden.com slash DLN. Get started for free. Let them know that we sent you by going to that link. And we want to thank Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. All right. So I know Noah's chomping at the bit for this topic. And so <laughs> let's get into it here. ZSH versus Bash. So let's just set the stage again for what's happened. Mac OS has been on Bash forever. I know a lot of people hate Apple and don't want to talk about it, but they are the biggest tech company in the world today. But in Catalina, they recently switched to ZSH. It was interesting, but again, who cares about Apple? So we kind of move on. But then Cali switched from Bash to ZSH. And that kind of caught my attention when two completely different companies on completely different spectrums decide to move from Bash to ZSH. Now, in my 30 days of playing in Apple, one of the things that I didn't realize because I hadn't played in Apple for a long time is I was tight. I'd open the terminal and type all these commands that I'm used to typing in bash and all of them were working in Mac OS. And I was like, huh, that's fascinating to me that all these commands are still available. What are they using? Well, it was ZSH. So the transition between the two ZSH and bash is pretty natural. There are some differences there, but for the most part, I was able to just go and do whatever I was normally doing right there. There are some specific features when I was doing research on this of why ZSH, some people make the argument, is a great alternative. I don't want to say better because I don't think there's necessarily better. Bash has been around forever. But what people talk about and say in the articles about Bash versus ZSH is you have options for things like automatic CD. So you just type the name of the directory instead of having to put CD, change directory, and it will go to the directory. So I just type documents for as an example, and it would just go there. You can share your command history across multiple terminals. You have recursive path expansion. You have things like plugins and theme support. And they have a very extensive plugin and theme support system called Oh My ZSH with over 250 plus plugins available and 150 different themes. Now, I don't know about you all, but to me, I don't even pay attention. I didn't in Mac when I was playing with it. I just open a terminal and try to do my work. I really don't pay attention to what it is, but maybe we should start. And that's really the conversation topic here is, is ZSH the future? Is this where we should go? Is, is Mac and Cali kind of leading the way here where we're going to change out our shells from Bash to ZSH? So I think that we should start that conversation by having an open conversation about what terminals every, or what uh, shells everybody is using and what people prefer, and then talk about the technical merits and demerits. Because when I initially hear, if, if I was going to switch from the tried and true Bash, and the reason that I stick with Bash is because it's available everywhere. If I wanted to change from that, if I was going to venture out, the first question I would ask is what's the best shell? And I don't think ZSH would be at the top of the list. I think it'd be closer to something like fish. Whoa, you can't bring fish in here. That is yeah, unfair. Why? That is illegal. It, Red flag, it, you cannot bring flag fish on the into play. this conversation. <laughs> so here's, yeah. so consider this, right? Look at what PowerShell is doing. Look at what Windows is doing with PowerShell. They are trying to reinvent the terminal for the command line and make it more powerful than ever. And what they, they have a head start because they started with Bash and that they're adding on to it and, and, and making it better. We have done that too with things like Fish, but that's not the standard. And so it's not rolled out on every server. Therefore, a lot of people don't, don't standardize around it. Okay. Now, so Noah, have you played in PowerShell? 
Yes, I have. And, and what are your honest thoughts on it? Because I was pretty impressed. Here, here, here's my honest thoughts. My honest thoughts are it's exactly what happens when you take an open source product and an open source way of developing things and then stack millions of dollars behind it with developers and a paid company with a shared common uh, end goal. And th that's what happens, right? Microsoft tried, tried, tried this way, and it didn't quite work. And open source made so much more clunky. They, they, they didn't really roll along. It just kind of like ambled along. But we got further. And Microsoft looked over and went, why is their train so far ahead of ours? Let's get on their train. And they just got behind the open source train and just pushed with a bunch of money. The problem is they're pushing the train in a given direction. And that is the Windows Azure uh, sphere. They want that to be the, the premium product. And they're going mm -hmm. to get there because they're taking all of the cool lessons that we've learned over the last 20 years and using them to build their product. What I'm trying to what I'm trying to get at here with the shell is we need to we have done that same thing. Our ambling along has worked, but where that's at right now, if you ask most Linux enthusiasts, they'll tell you it's fish shell. So why are we go? Why why are these distributions choosing a, a less shell? And 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 to a certain degree, it almost kind of feels like we're just following Apple. They pulled the headphone jack, so Samsung pulls the headphone jack. Mac OS moves to ZSH. Now other distributions move to ZSH. And the kind of distribution, by the way, that people tend to use when they don't want to live in Linux day in, day out. That's the Kali Linux laptop. That's the Kali Linux virtual machine, right? Because it doesn't sound like a lot of the people that I know that use Kali Linux would be looking for an alternative to Bash to begin with. Right. That's interesting. Uh, now, Michael, going back to the PowerShell, and then we're going to get into Fish because... Fish, in my opinion, does trump this argument and is where my mind went when I was playing with ZSH. But I remember you had at your lug someone do a presentation on PowerShell, and we had mm -hmm. some really funny offline conversations about this where you're like, I was like, oh, yeah, whatever. And then you're like, darn it, when you looked at it, because yeah. they have taken the best of what we've done in Linux and then piled a lot on top of it. He he asked if, like, is anybody interested in doing it? And I was like, I don't, I don't want to be shown that it's better but i'm open to listen so he he does like a 15 20 minute like demonstration of what powershell can do and like what's different about it and that stuff and then like the beginning of it's like i'm just going to tell you up front i don't want to like this so you have a really big uh, battle to you know the hill to climb kind of thing and at the very end i just say okay i like it and i don't like that i like it but you're right it is it is better like it is actually much better in the sense of like it's when it compared to bash it's way better it also has object oriented like programming and coding built yeah. into it so you can do not only just scripting you can actually do programming with with powershell so it is it is way better than bash but in comparison to how much better is it in fish that's a different debate cuz you could argue that fish has a lot more you know it it's like zsh is better than bash Fish arguably is better than Bash, PowerShell, and also ZSH. So it's kind of weird that Fish is never in the debate. Like why? It, well, I looked this up, Michael. I looked up why don't distributions utilize Fish by default? And do you want to know the reason I got from everyone? The only reason I could find is it's heavy. Yeah, it's yeah. heavier. Yeah, like, it's like a couple kilobytes or something. There? What kind of computers do you guys use in Linux? From like, are you using like calculators you repurpose to be a computer where you think that fish is a heavy shell? What are you talking like, about? Seriously. So how, how heavy is it, right? It must be a whole like, I don't know, 
five kilobytes to extra wow. to run the thing. I mean, I couldn't exactly. imagine my, my poor Texas instrument computer can't handle it. Well, that's In like 5,000 extra seriousness. bytes, though. I, I, I'd really like to know how much heavier it is because if you have, I mean, there's a valid argument to be made. If you're going to run 30-some terminals at the same time, if it just bogs down and crash, I'd be interested in seeing that. But I know plenty of people that run fish on, you know, and have three monitors worth of terminals and don't seem to have an issue. So, as, yeah, okay, in terms of like the actual, there's two arguments. One is the one you see the most of the time is the heaviness of it. But in comparison to it's a shell still. So the difference between Bash and ZSH and Fish is like ridiculous. It's nothing. Who cares? Unless you're using a TRS-80, then okay. But there's the big, the one that's actually a problematic is the POSIX compliance of like how things are expected to be used. It's not as, it's not really POSIX compliance because they try to do things that are more innovative and therefore sometimes is not necessarily uh, compliant to the concept of POSIX. This is what I keep hearing come up. Is this, I mean, is this really like a compliance thing where we've made up this random rule or philosophy or is this something that actually a compliance that we need because without it, it actually breaks things because this idea of being stuck on some philosophy, like we're dealing with a religion here is really silly in the Linux world. Like, well, we have this philosophy, so we can't go to this thing that's better because it doesn't fit the philosophy yeah. that somebody set up 20 years ago that well, they wouldn't even know the power of computers today <laughs> or have any idea when they were setting up the philosophy that it would matter yeah. today. Like, I don't get it. I, I get where you're coming from. And to an extent, I agree. At the same time, standardization and following standardization is a good thing. And the and the desire to conform to the standard or change the standard if we decide the standard is no longer uh, working is a good thing to strive after. But who does that in the open source world when but everybody's chaotically going in their own direction? Yeah. But we well, should. The weird thing is that we do have a lot of the times we do have some standards that they we set, but there are things that don't really need to be standard. Like there's no value of bash over fish. It's slightly more resources in fish, but like who cares? And if we had if, if fish was the standard, then the compliance of POSIX wouldn't be a big deal because the the scripts and everything would be compatible with the same level. But the same thing is like in terms of like the POSIX compliance of is it necessary? Not really, because there's a lot of stuff that's not POSIX compliant. I'd have never liked the the philosophy of po of POSIX or Unix philosophy or whatever. And it's it's a problem because they say that it's the well, for people who don't know what this philosophy is. It's to say that create something and create something simplistically and do it well. So it's make one thing and do it well. And it sounds like a great thing to have, but at the same time, that means that if you're only doing one thing you're combining multiple things to accomplish a big task of an operating system or insert whatever task you want to do. So this is the old I hate system D argument. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, it's more of like this This philosophy to me doesn't work because if you have one th one tool and it depends on other tools and that and let's say, for example, the one thing is do it better, but you do it at a big scale, you have a, an issue of like, dozens and dozens of projects if one of those projects decides to stop doing the work then you've created a big breakpoint for all of the other projects that depend on it like that is a very problematic approach and it's just because of this idea that you can't have you can't have complexity and also well, this is why good. we can't have nice things because of stuff like this yeah and that's so actually I, a philosophy I like Noah's that's been idea, around though. For i like the decades. idea that you know we would have a foundation 
that would kind of determine the direction of these things and help facilitate the conversations. Yeah. But I don't think we have an organization out there that really, I mean, there's some that kind of, I think, put themselves out there and say they do that, but I don't see it ever happening in any scale, at least in my vision that I've seen of anybody doing that. But I think it is worth a discussion to say, should we be moving to these different things? Maybe the, what about PowerShell? Should Linux move to PowerShell? Source, if it's open source and it's better than what we have available today, then yes, we should, we should look into who cares where it came from. But Icky, yeah. Microsoft Icky. I know, but here's a, we do that all day. <laughs> but if it's long. open source, it doesn't oh, matter. I'm just kidding. Canonical, I'm and they don't kidding. do this, and that one came from Red Hat, and they don't do this, and that. Can, now we're gonna yeah. do. Now we're gonna play this the, game with Microsoft too. Are you kidding me? I think if well, you're if, if it's gonna it's be open to source, yeah. I mean, for, to be to be fair, Microsoft has been uh, awful for decades. But at the same time, if it's open source, the whole purpose of open source is to have a built-in mechanism where we don't have to worry about who is creating that content or whatever. Uh, so that 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 is a good point, but at the same time, the only reason I would say why not PowerShell is because I think Fish and PowerShell are on a very close tier of like they're comparable. I think that Fish maybe not as good because I, I don't think Fish has the object-oriented programming aspect, but at the same time, I think there's a little bit of complexity unnecessarily added through that because I don't really want to use a scripting thing for programming. I'd rather use a programming language for that. So it's kind of like. It can do something that's really interesting, but is it necessary to be there? So I think that in terms of the shell aspect, that fish is a good option. It's something where when I first tried fish, I was like, oh, this changes so many things. And basically it has the like, you know, spelling, the, the uh, spelling corrections and like autocomplete and all this other stuff. It's just really nice to have that in your shell. But at the same time, I do find myself not installing it for I don't use the command line that much to care that often. Yeah, because you grew up on one that didn't have it. What I'm saying is when you have when you have an audience of people, which is clearly what I think Apple and Cali are catering towards, where they, they mm. come from a, a completely Windows world, mm. and now they have maybe some basic experience on something like PowerShell, and they want to have a, a tool to go do penetration tests, then they come over to Cali, what shell are they going to sit down at? That's your target audience. And I think that's a really worthwhile discussion worth having, and I don't think it ends with ZS. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I, I, based on in that perspective, I think you're you're totally right. And I think that people maybe should just should check out, you know, the, op, the alternatives and see if there is something better than Bash instead of just waiting for someone else to, to well, follow Bash the leader. Bash was created kind of in 1989. So maybe it's time to look somewhere else or maybe it's not. Maybe we stick with Bash. But I, I agree we have those conversations. By the way, ZSH was created by Paul Falstad at Princeton University. And when I hear Princeton, I think it's got to be good. It's from Princeton, right? And then Fish was created by uh, Axel, and I will not pronounce his last name. But all of these are options, including PowerShell out there. It's not something I think we think about very often. And to Noah's point, I think that may be the problem. We don't think about it because we've been in Linux. We use Bash. It just makes sense to us. But somebody who's coming over and students and things they're coming to learn for the first time they may want something like fish where it's doing spelling correction, where it has better auto completion, where it's more user friendly to make them not be constantly searching for the GUI when you can do things so much faster in a shell. 
Yeah, I'm actually going to also admit something. Like you, you're just you're not grown up in it. You don't have it, so you don't know it, and you're it's easier not to change and that kind of thing. And the exact same argument is things that I've said to people about System D who don't want to change their configs and they don't want to change their scripts and stuff like that. And it's like so bringing that flipping that back on me is kind. Of, uh, I guess I will. You know, try you're welcome. To, I will use some more different options. Now we're going to get into our gaming section, and I just want to bring one more time to your attention. We have an amazing game night set up for the community of Destination Linux. Come game with us live at 4 o'clock Eastern, August 30th. We're going to have an absolute blast. We're even going to have Jill there and Noah, and it's just going to be so much fun because we're going to play Tux Cart, Xenotic, Gang Beast, Shell Shock, and Golf With Your Friends. So those are the games to go download or just get one if you want Xenotic is free. Tux cart is free. And I think the other ones may have a small cost to them, but definitely if you want to game with us, August 30th at 4 PM Eastern, come jump in, play some games, have some fun. And look, if you need, if you're bad at games, you need an easy target. You don't want to look bad. Go after Noah. Trust me. Uh, it's going to be an easy kill for you. Yeah, I can, I can confirm that it'll be an easy kill for them. <laughs> but if you want to head to destination Linux, dot network slash game fest you can get all the information you're going to need there destination linux dot network slash game fest but the game this week that i picked is called spirit fair now this game is very interesting it was created by thunder lotus games they also created the very popular title sundered and spirit fair is about management game about dying as the ferry master to the deceased, you build a boat to explore the world, care for your spirit friends, and guide them across mystical seas to finally release them into the afterlife. It has 239 already very positive reviews out there for this game. It has gorgeous graphics. And while it has this kind of dark premise, you can see there's this, I don't know, life lesson here in this game. And it reminds me of, there are games like, like, like this War of Mine that actually leave you thinking yeah. about life a little bit differently when you play them. And this is that kind of game. So it's going to be more story and imagination here, but beautiful hand-drawn art. You get to build and manage and improve. You know, you got the inventory management system in there. You can farm, mine, fish, harvest, all of these different things. But there's these moments where you have to take this friend that you've built and take them into the afterlife and say that it's okay and talk them through these moments, which I think are quite emotional and probably as they describe it, unforgettable moments of trying to let somebody go in your life. So I, I just think it's interesting when we take these games and we kind of cross into the realm where movies have done for us for so long, where they tackle these very emotional life experiences that we have in a very different way. And I really like the idea of this game and can't wait to spend some time and play this myself. Yeah, I never thought I would be interested in a, in a game like this. But uh, when I saw, like, if you referencing the this War of Mine is one of those things that makes me kind of think about this might be a really cool game to play because that, that I never thought... I would be interested in this kind of approach to a game. Then I played this war as mine or this war of mine. And, and it was very enlightening. It was a very interesting concept. So this one sounds kind of similar to that, like you said. So I, I think that's a really cool uh, approach to it. And I also like the kind of the mix between like combining it with like mythology and stuff like that to kind of have like right. a, a, a setting for it. That's pretty cool. 
We're continuing our exploration of the Linux-based file system. Now, as we've talked about in previous weeks, everything on Linux is a file, and that can make working with Linux very easy, and it also makes understanding Linux can be a little challenging sometimes. So we've covered things like temp, bin, boot, and dev. This week, we're covering Etsy. Etsy might be one of the most important directories on the entire Linux file system, and that's because Etsy contains all of the necessary files to uh, for configuration and operation of your computer. Now, despite what a lot of people think, it does not stand for etc., Inside of Etsy, you'll find things, for example, the configuration for your SSH. Uh, you'll find things like the configuration for uh, FSTAP that mounts your drives when it boots up, or CronTab that uh, deals with scheduling. Um, all of these things must be kept secure, and obviously you want to restrict people that can access them, so only a pseudo user or the root user would be able to access uh, files like that. Um, one of the other things that are included in there is the shadow file or the password, Etsy slash pass PSSWD. And um, this will give, this is what defines users and 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 tells you where uh, their directories are created and, and contains the hash actually for their passwords. All of this is being stored in Etsy. And so a lot of times when you're working on a, on a server or on a home PC, that's the directory that you want to be most careful with. It's also one of the directories that's very worthwhile backing up because a lot of Programs that run system-wide will store their configurations there, and so simply backing those configurations up will give you a really great idea of how you set that that program up or that weird thing that you troubleshot one time. You'll have all of that stuff backed up. Um, all of that's stored in slash Etsy. We would tell you that this is a kind of a dangerous directory, so we wouldn't encourage you to go playing around in there. Um, start, understand what those files are, understand what they do, and then also understand that sometimes you can crawl in there and edit the files by hand. Other times there are programs um, like for for example, the, the Grub config, while it's stored, uh, is it's generated um, by a by another application and then placed oftentimes in Etsy. So uh, be aware of which files you can edit by hand and which files you can't, and and understand them before you go playing in there. Or hack the planet and just edit anything. Or do what Ryan says and then give all speed technologies planet. a call when yeah. you break your computer. You just hack the planet. <laughs> All right, so our tip of the week this week is I I very don't I don't want to say it. No, <laughs> okay. It. So all the kids in the crowd in the in the cars with their parents can laugh. Okay, it's called broadcast using this tool. Now that's not what that Michael. Okay, well, that's no, what that's it means. Okay, when people fine. look it's up look it up. They won't find it by that. Okay, I apologize for anyone who has a problem with this, but it's uh, it's called butt. B-U-T-T, broadcast using this tool. They they guarantee they chose this name for that reason. And it's ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I saw an app called Butt, and I was like, Michael needs to have to... I gave the article to you. Yeah, of course he did. So here, if, if, you got, if, if nobody's used this tool before, despite the funny name, it's actually a fantastic tool. The reality is that inside in, everything we do is uh, with audio over IP is really being done with RTP packets these days. And so that is true for SIP and that's true for uh, professional um, codecs that are used by radio stations. And that is also true for uh, internet broadcasting, which is t- primarily done with, um, with a, a protocol called IceCast. And IceCast is just a stream of RTP packets, uh, audio packets. Packets. And what broadcast using this tool is, is a tool that allows you to take, capture a device like a microphone, USB audio interface mixer, and send that as an IceCast stream up somewhere or to something. So you may, for example, want to do a very high quality podcast with your friends, and you could, for example, set butt up to send a stream all to one person so that they would have an uncompressed uh, feed at, at, at their end. That's one way you could use it. You, we could have a, a, a dedicated um, audio stream that has a very high quality feel to it. That's what we do for Ask Noah so that people 
people can listen to the show. Um, and that's not being re-encoded and you, you don't hear all of those things. That's all just pure opus being delivered. That's possible thanks to tools like Button. So this is one of the better ones out there because it's very simple. It doesn't really require a lot of configuration. It's pretty easy to get up and running um, and it works really well. So if I open up the software store, what do I type in? Uh, you uh, you <laughs> open up your app store, which is not a store for apps, and then you'll search for Butt, B-U-T-T. But, uh, okay. Yeah. If you dis- if you get disconnected from broadcasting, is it do you get, is it kicked butt? No, if you get disconnected, it's uh oh never mind. <laughs> Kick butt. Well done, Michael. Well oh, done. Thank you, thank you. So a big thank you to each and every one of you for watching or listening to Destination Linux. If you want more DL, become a patron. Like all of these beautiful people here with us today, you get to watch the show live. Here are all the in-between banter that we have on all the discussions going on. And if you can't make the live show, that's okay too, because you get the unedited versions of the show that you can watch at your leisure. And if you become a patron, you can come and join us live to troll Michael, which is probably the perk we get the best feedback on that people love the most. So definitely consider checking out patron or sponsors. And also you definitely want to join the the patrons because you can be a part of the patron post show, which is an awesome time. And also if you want to represent your love of DL and open source, you can check out the destination Linux network store and get some DLN swag. We have t-shirts, hoodies, more uh, mugs, and so much more, including DLN stickers. What? Yes. We have stickers now. Yes. And that, so I can have my favorite show, the ask Noah show sticker. Yes, you can. You, In fact, you can have multiples because it's a sticker sheet. So when you buy one sticker, you get an entire sheet of all the shows all in one. And you have a bunch of different options. And at the same time, I do want to let you know that it is there's a weird quirk on the store when you try to check out. Make sure you check, you click the five by seven because otherwise you'll be paying the same amount for a smaller amount of sticker or smaller size stickers. So like, go check out the Destination Linux store by going to destinationlinux.network slash store. And if you didn't understand any of that, don't worry. There are people that can help you do it in the DLN community. That's the extension of the Destination Linux show. The DLN, we have our discourse form, which will have you feeling hinged on all things Linux. If you want more interactive chat, then come hang with us in our Telegram group. Finally, if you want to play some games, head over to the DLN Discord server and set up some sweet game seshes. Yep. Nailed it. Perfect. We've got some more awesome content for you on the DLN website. So head over to destinationlinux.network where you'll find all sorts of open source goodness from podcast to YouTube channels and so much more. All right, everybody, have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye, guys. <laughs> That's perfect. I'm putting that in there. <laughs> Uh, patrons, if you want to join us in the post show, you can turn your cameras on, your microphones on, and everything. How y'all doing? We're doing good, man. What? How are you? All right. Just all right? You're here with us, yeah. and you're just all right? I mean, come on. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm better now. There now that you we go. Oh, that's so sweet. Thank you for saying so. Oh. <laughs> he he, he didn't set it up at all. That was not. Yeah. That was not prompted whatsoever. Yeah. That was perfect. Thanks. Absolutely. <laughs>